Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Today we're starting our series, our, we're starting our fourth part of our series of unity, and we've been in a study on 1 Corinthians. We're just going through the first four chapters. I actually have it planned out where we can get through the whole book of Corinthians, but I got broken up into different series. And so this first one is on unity. And let me just share a little bit as we get started today on this, because I think it's going to really touch uh, your heart and touch your life. Amen? Do you believe that God's going to touch you today? I just want to make sure we have an audience of faith today. If you're online, raise your hand as well, because we believe God can touch you right where you're at. But a brief synopsis. Paul is writing this book uh, to the Jewish and Greek believers who are living in Corinth. And Paul had heard just from rumors people were coming back that there was some division that was taking place in the church of Corinth. You know, times there could be difficulties in church. Do you know that? There can be problems in church. You know why that is, don't you? Because the church is made of people. Anyhow, um, there can be problems in the church. And so Paul is literally writing this letter to address some of the issues that are taking place in the church. And the reason that Paul is writing the letter is because he's invested in these people. A year and a half before, he was actually traveling and he was actually helping plant this church. He was preaching the gospel in Corinth and people were getting saved and, and they were getting touched by the power of God. And, and so he really considered, the Apostle Paul really considered like these were his children. He, they, they came to salvation under his ministry. He does not want them to fall away. He's invested in them. And so he's writing this letter of encouragement saying, wait a minute, don't fall away from Christ. Don't be at, in division with one another, stay in unity together and follow Christ. Amen? Amen? So Paul's overall theme in these first four chapters is calling the believers to be united together around the one common denominator. What's that one common denominator in all of our lives? Jesus. As believers today, we can learn much from Paul's encouragement to the believers in Corinth. Because we kind of live in a similar circumstances, being tempted daily to live our lives according to the standard of this world instead of God's standard. We're constantly being tempted to try to live according to a, a standard that this world has put into place. And it's hard because our peers and those people that are around us so many times are wanting to live by the world. And yet we know in our spirit, we know in our heart that we are set apart, that that's not the standard that we're supposed to live by, but we're supposed to live by a standard that God has set up and placed and is found in his word, and we're supposed to walk by that standard. And so we're constantly being divided, but we have to, as the body of Christ, stay in unity together with understanding that Jesus is our leader. Amen? That's our purpose. So let's look at chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through the first four verses. And this is the, Paul's letter. These are Paul's words uh, writing to the church in Corinth. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by the sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? 
When one of you says, I am follow, I'm a follower of Paul, or, and another says, I'm, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? When you look at, back at the first chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians, you'll notice some similarities that are taking place here. Paul is once again addressing the argument about following different leaders. There's a division because it's almost like a competition that's taking place of who is the better leader? Who's the better pastor? Where's the better church? And, and there's kind of this division that's taking place. And Paul says, what are you guys doing? Why are we doing this? There's no reason to be doing this. And by the way, it doesn't appear that Apollos or Peter or Paul were creating this competition. It's actually coming from within the believers themselves. There was this jealousy taking place about who's following who and, and quarreling. It's almost like football teams or a basketball team. You know, you have your favorite team and you start, and everybody else is the enemy. In the body of Christ, we're all one, serving Christ together. Amen? The first truth I want to share from this passage of Scripture that I feel like we need to just put into our hearts, and it's something that's difficult to do in our lives, but it's so important that we do, do it, is that we need to let go of our sinful environment. Paul reminds them when he first came to them sharing the good news about Jesus that he had to do it so carefully because they were brand new Christians. They were just coming to know Christ. And he couldn't talk to them as spiritually mature believers because they were still immature. Paul uses his analogy of babies who can't eat solid food. You know, I was kept on when my little grandson Vinny at three months, I was trying to feed him some meat and potatoes. And Danielle kept yelling, Tom, Dad, don't do that. He's hungry. No, he just still needs milk. They must need milk to grow, you know, and then at, as they mature, all of a sudden, what, we start, we start entering, you know, into that, the, that smashed up vegetable stuff that smells so bad and all that kind of stuff. You, you wonder how babies make it through because it's like, ah, oh. and then finally they get to the meat and potatoes. And it's important to know because sometimes we think as we read through this in 1 Corinthians that Paul, maybe, you know, they're, they're falling away from the Lord and they're just not serving the Lord anymore, but Paul is addressing these these as true believers he's not saying that they're sinners he's addressing them as true believers you can find that in first corinthians we can't just discount them as people who heard the gospel and but they truly never believed these were believers paul makes it clear in the first chapter of first uh, corinthians that he was thankful for their faith in jesus and their spiritual gifts that had been given to them so these are actual believers that are falling back and struggling with just their, their, their sinful environment, the sinful nature. For me, I don't know about you, but that kind of gives me a little hope sometimes. It's like, okay, there's grace. God's going to, grace is going to continue to help me get through and, and become more and more mature in Christ. The problem that Paul describes in verse 3 was that they were still allowing their sinful nature to control them. They were still living like infants or babies instead of spiritually mature believers. And it reminds me of this truth that's so important for us to understand is that we are a product, we are a product of our sinful environment. We've been, the, the Bible talks about being born to the first Adam, born into sin. We have this environment of sin that is a struggle, it's a difficult thing that we've got to learn how to let go of that environment and grab a hold of godly environment in our life. The believers in Corinth had accepted Jesus, they had received the Holy Spirit, but they were still hanging on to their old 
sin, their old way of life. And when we, when we say yes to Jesus, we must be willing to let go of that environment that draws us away from his righteousness. Jesus said, his kingdom is not of this world. And as believers in Jesus, guess what? Where, where's our citizenship now? When you accept Christ in your, in your heart, your citizenship immediately is in heaven. You're no longer, even though you live in this world, you're no longer a part of this world. You are part of God's kingdom, heaven. Yeah, that's a good amen right there. I love it. We're part of God's kingdom. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. And as believers in Jesus, we're citizens of heaven. In, first, in John 15, 19, Jesus says, I chose you out of the world. Did you hear those words? I chose you out of the world. You were in the world. I'm taking you out of the world. In verse 4, the apostle Paul writes, aren't you acting just like people of the world? So P Paul is trying to say, wait a minute. Jesus is pulling you out of the world, but all of a sudden now you're acting like you're back into the world again. Paul's showing his frustration. And it's interesting, this passage of Scripture, that Paul is holding each person responsible for their lack of spiritual growth. Notice that Paul's not blaming himself in this passage of Scripture. Man, I should have done a better job. Man, I'm so sorry. I, I He's not blaming himself. He's not blaming Apollos. He's not blaming Peter. He's placing the responsibility on each individual believer because they're still holding on to their sinful environment. Any pastor who's been in ministry for any length of time has heard this statement. Oh, pastor, I'm just not growing here anymore. I need to go to another church where, you know, I, I'm just not being spiritually fed. And uh, <clears throat> I would rather just have you say, hey, Pastor Tom, your speaking sucks, okay? And I'm just going to go to another church, okay? I would rather hear that than someone say, you know, I'm just not being spiritually fed at this church, and it's just been a, a struggle. Why would I rather just hear, man, Pastor Tom, your speaking sucks? I want to go somewhere else. Because 100% of the time, I want you to catch this, 100% of the time, the reason someone is not growing spiritually with Jesus is because they're still allowing their sinful nature to control their life. That's the struggle. It's not, it has nothing to do with Pastor Tom. You have to make your own decisions. It has nothing to do with Pastor Mark or Pastor John or pa put the name in. What, it has nothing to do with them. I mean, yes, are we teachers and pastors? 100%. And we have to do a good job in, in leading people. But it is your responsibility to make a decision. I'm going to let go of my sin and I'm going to start following after Jesus. It is. Pastors don't control people's decisions. We control our own decision in our, in our walk with Christ. Look at what Paul writes, starting in verse 5. He says, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. We brought the good news and you believed. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. We're just doing what God told us to do. We're just preaching the gospel. We're just watering what we've already planted. That's all we're doing. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. The growth happens by God's Spirit working in you. It doesn't mean that pastors and teachers aren't important. But it's God who brings a change in a person's life. It's God who makes a person grow. Growth won't happen if you choose to live in an environment outside of God's will. 
If you choose to keep one foot always in this one place in your life of sin and you're just constantly going to stay there in that one foot and then you're trying to put your other foot in, in, in trying to follow God and you come to church once every two months and, and you're trying to make this thing happen. I'm just giving, no one's laughing for some reason. Anyhow, um, you're keeping your foot in this one. You can't grow there. You've got to fully commit to Christ. You've got to fully commit to Christ. If you want growth to take place in your life, you must be willing to change your environment from an environment of sin to a godly environment following after Jesus. That's how you do it. If you want to change your environment, you have to put your focus on Jesus instead of placing your focus on sin. I talk about that all the time. So many times people are trying to break away from their sin, but they're trying to do it by focusing on their sin. It will never happen. The only way you break away from something is changing your focus to something else. And you need to put your focus on Jesus. It's a choice. Remember, sin is anything that is disobedient or contrary to God's desire for your life. Sometimes what happens, we make these sin things so ugly and, you know, I haven't murdered. I haven't, I haven't molested anybody. I haven't. Sin can be just being disobedient when God tells you to do something and you choose not to do it. I mean, that, that, my life, there's been a lot of sin in my life that hasn't been this just ugly, ugly. It's just been disobedient to God. And God convicts me of that. And it's like, oh my gosh. And I have to turn my life over towards him and closer to him. What did the words that Jesus say when he came to his disciples for the very first time? When the very first time he met them, what did Jesus say to his disciples? We studied, we talked about this in, in a couple of my series. What did he say? What were the words? Follow me. Jesus said, hey, follow me. And they started to follow Jesus. Follow me. Let me ask you, what do you have to do if you are following someone? Your focus and your attention has to remain on that person. If you're going to follow someone, you got to keep them in your eyesight. you got to keep following after them. you got, you got to see them. I remember when I was a little kid, the first time I ever went to Disneyland, I think I was 11, 10, or 11 years old. And we got there, and it was packed, and it was all kinds of people. And I'm from Washington. I've never seen a freeway with more than three lanes. And now we got freeways with seven, eight lanes. And, and we get into this place, and it's packed full of people. And I remember kind of being nervous because, you know, I wasn't 6'3 at that time. I was this little guy or a smaller guy. And I was walking through there, and I was trying to keep my eye on my, my dad and my family. But, man, everything is so cool. And I'm walking around like, Oh, my gosh, and all these things. And all of a sudden, I just got separated. Because I got distracted by all the cool things at Disneyland. I was like, wow. And all of a sudden, I can't find my parents. I can't find my family. All of a sudden, this, you know, if you've ever been there, if you've ever done that, if you've got a lot, you, all of a sudden, you get panic in your heart. Because my eyes went off of my parents and started looking at everything else that was distracting me. And all of a sudden, I no longer had what I knew was solid in my life. It was missing all of a sudden. That's what happens to us spiritually. We start just living this life. Oh, this is cool. Oh, this is nice. This is wonderful. And all of a sudden we take our eyes off of Jesus and we lose our focus. And he's no longer. What happened? All we need to do is keep our focus on Jesus Christ. It's not that we can't enjoy some of the wonderful things of this life. But in, the, in that part of the enjoyment, we're always keeping our eyes on Jesus Paul's instructing the believers in Corinth, 
you've lost sight of the goal. You're following your sinful nature instead of following Jesus, which brings me to a second truth I want to share with you today, and that's we need a godly environment to grow. If you want to grow, we need that godly environment to grow in. Paul states in verses 7 through 9, it doesn't matter who does the planting or who does the watering. The only importance is that God is impacting lives. Paul uses an agricultural illustration of plant growing. You know, if you're going to help try to make a plant grow, it needs good soil. It needs what? Water. It needs nutrients. Otherwise, it's going to have a hard time to grow. If you try to grow in Christ and you plant yourself in this horrible, sinful environment, you're going to have a hard time growing. But if all of a sudden you decide, I'm going to make a greater commitment to going to church. I'm going to make a greater commitment in, in Bible study and in, in taking time in prayer. And all of a sudden, guess what? Your life is going to grow in Christ. But Paul reminds us that none of us can take any credit for someone else's salvation. Jesus is the one who gets all the credit. You and I don't save anyone. Jesus does. We are the workers. We are God's workers. And Paul states, we will be rewarded for our work in sharing the good news. But it's Jesus who does the saving. He's the one that provides the growth in people's lives. Look at verse 10. We see that Paul changes from using an agricultural illustration of crop growing so all of a sudden now he's talking about a building that's being built. And listen to what Apostle Paul says. He says this. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already have been laid, Jesus Christ. If you've ever had any experience in building, a good foundation is absolutely vital to have, a, to have a sturdy and strong building. It has to be built on a good foundation. A building is only as good as its foundation. If the foundation is flawed, guess what? The building's going to be flawed as well. It doesn't matter how beautiful or innate the building is. It can be wonderful inside. If that foundation is not solid, then the home is not solid. And here in Southern California, we know that truth. We've been watching a lot of homes slide off the side of the mountains lately. And it's because the foundation was built that, on something that was not solid. It was built on more of like a sand instead of a rock. And all of a sudden, when the rain started coming, isn't there a Bible story or something like that in the Bible about this thing? When the rain started to come, when the winds start to howl, when everything starts to take place, all of a sudden, the, the, the home, the house, the building cannot stand, and it falls. Jesus talks about not building your house on the sand, but on the rock your home is only as good as your foundation what is your life built upon paul sharing to the people of corinth god graced me like an expert builder to lay a foundation that is solid and that foundation is jesus we must be careful as followers of jesus that we keep following jesus we don't come to salvation through jesus christ and then all of a sudden change direction Oh, here's a better way. No, 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 no. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. Some of the believers in Corinth were focusing so much on their loyalty, on Christian leadership, on different, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Peter. They were focusing so much on that that they started losing their way. And remember what Paul writes? He says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
Follow me as I follow. We are all following Jesus. We never stop following Jesus because Jesus is what? He's the foundation for our life. Spiritual growth happens in your life when you remain in an environment based on the truth and the word of Jesus Christ. Throughout your life, you will have different mentors. You will have different pastors, teachers that will pour spiritual truth into your life. You might have uh, parents that have been godly parents that pour spiritual truth in your life. You might have grandparents that have been godly grandparents that have poured spiritual truth into your life. And those are great pillars that are, that are important into your life. They're pillars for your home. They're pillars that you build your life upon. And your home is constantly being built. It's constantly being changed. And then I bought our home in, in 2012, and it was, it was actually uh, uh, built in 1991. And one of the things that we have done is it, through the years, each and every year, we kind of make a major project on our house. We've, we've d- replaced all the windows. We've replaced all the fencing around back. The fencing was being held up by the vines, and we thought, man, we've got to replace the fencing, so we replaced the fencing. We replaced the flooring at different times. We replaced the electrical panel, the AC and heating. Every year we try to take one major project. What is our house need? What, what needs to be changed? Because we're constantly wanting to keep our house up to date. We want to bring value to that. But so many times in our own life, we don't put any investment in our own life. We just we come to Christ and then we stop right there. And we don't keep on investing into, your, into our own life. We need to keep investing. We need to keep reading God's word. We need to keep in Bible study. We need to keep coming to church and being a part of church. We need to serve. We need to be a part of the, the serving event after church today where we're, we're going to feed kids in Ecuador or the packing event. Why is that? Because it continues to do something inside of us where we're expanding, we're growing in Christ. But here's the thing. Out of all the remodeling that we've done in our house, the one thing that we haven't touched, the one thing we haven't needed to touch, is the foundation of our house. It's been solid. It hasn't cracked. It hasn't moved. It hasn't, it's just been solid. This is what Paul is talking to the people in Corinth. There's a lot of things that you can improve, you can do, you can follow Apollos' teaching. That's great and everything else. But there's one foundation you don't touch, you don't mess with. That's the foundation that I started at the very beginning because I was an expert builder. I built your life to start with your salvation on Jesus Christ, and that's where it remains. And that's something that we all need to remember in our own life, that the foundation is Jesus Christ. And he's warning the people there, be aware. Anyone that's trying to lay a different foundation than Jesus Christ, Run. Of course, there's pastors, there's teachers, there's leaders who build upon that foundation. That's great. We all need to keep growing. We all need to keep developing in our lives. If you don't maintain your home, guess what? Your home will eventually be in shambles, right? As your home gets ages, it's going to need new paint. It'll need new carpet. It'll need new appliances at some point. If your dishwasher is still olive green in color, you probably need to start saving money because it's probably getting time to, you know what, replace that dishwasher. It's just like our church. We're constantly changing different things, different programs, different ministries, different opportunities. Why? Because we want to reach all people for Jesus Christ. Amen? But the one thing that doesn't change is the message of Jesus. That remains the same. It has to last. Paul warns us in verses 12 through 15 to be careful because one day everything that we've done will be tested. 
If we built with inferior materials, it will all be burned up and destroyed. It won't last. Everything that we build in our lives, all the ministries that we do as a church, all the ministries that you do personally, everything that you do needs to be built on the one foundation, this one truth, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Amen? Make sure what you're putting on top of your foundation is something that is worthy of God's glory. Something that will last through the fire. Something of spiritual value. Otherwise, at some point, it will be destroyed. It won't last. This warning is especially directed towards Christian leadership and those who are using their spiritual gifts for the benefit of others. That's why I take it seriously when I preach God's word. I take it seriously when I come to the church and I want to share God's word in a way that's going to be relevant to you today because guess what? At one point, all my work is going to be judged. What's going to last? What's going to be important? And that's the souls, that's the lives that have been touched by the power of God. That's what's important. This is where the Apostle Paul, all of a sudden in the passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he changes to a third metaphor in describing the believers in Corinth. Paul refers to the group of the believers as God's temple. Listen to verses 16 and 17. He writes, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. See, sometimes I don't think that we realize or we understand. We, we, we hear that statement on the temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never heard that statement, but if you haven't heard that statement, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? There is a change and transformation that takes place in your life, and the Holy Spirit now resides, secures your salvation, and resides in you. And God declares you as holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you might not feel holy, but you are holy through Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, many times we don't take that and understand that and really truly believe that, that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am the temple of God. That God's very presence resides in me. Paul's reminding the believers in Corinth that the church is not a physical building, but it's God's people. Did I read verses 16 and 17 already? I did. Okay, just wanted to make sure where I'm at here. It's why it's so important that we're not causing division, but we're staying in unity. Because the very Spirit of God dwells in His temple. Don't defile God's temple with division and moral corruption. Strive towards holiness. Paul makes a second statement. Anyone who destroys God's temple will be destroyed. Sounds like a harsh judgment, doesn't it? But it's for those who are trying to lead people away from Jesus. God will not honor that. You know what? God will not even honor you if you're leading yourself away from Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? You actually will destroy yourself if you don't keep on following after Jesus. Many people don't understand that statement. We are God's temple. Can you imagine, let me put it this way, let me illustrate something. Can you imagine, I know Mother Teresa and and Billy Graham are both dead now, but could you imagine that you actually had the opportunity to walk with Mother Teresa? Or maybe you had the opportunity to walk with Billy Graham? If you actually had that opportunity, don't you think you would be on your very best behavior? 
Come on. If you actually were walking with Mother Teresa, don't you think you would be very careful on what you said and what you did because you would want to be on your very best behavior? How much more should we be aware of God's presence that dwells within us? See, we think about walking with someone out, but then we walk in such a way that we don't walk with the understanding that God's presence dwells within us. That's hitting some of you right now. And it's not to throw guilt. God's grace is abundant upon us. It's not to, but it's just to, it, I don't want to beat you down to feel, make you feel so guilty and condemned that you can't live. No, no, God never wanted that in, in your, for you at all. God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins and set you free from your sins so that you don't have to live condemned, but that you can live, you know what, free and, and knowing that Jesus Christ is your righteousness. But when we know that, when we know it's God's presence with us, shouldn't we walk in a different way? Shouldn't that change us? Paul challenges us that our goal is not to try to impress those in the world, but because that's all foolishness. Our goal is to please and to honor God. God knows our thoughts. Every once in a while, that just hits me, and it humbles me. It's like, oh my gosh, God knows my thoughts. Why are you being so stupid, Tom? You can talk to yourself. It works sometimes. works better if you just talk to Jesus. We don't need to be in competition with one another because ultimately every good and perfect gift already belongs to you through Jesus Christ. It's easy to fall in this trap of worldly thinking. This is what Paul's trying to tell the people of Corinth. Don't fall into that trap of thinking worldly. He's encouraging them to keep your thoughts on Jesus Christ, what is righteous and what is good. Because it's in, God's, it's in a healthy, godly environment that our lives will grow to be more and more like Jesus. Let's not lose sight of Jesus. That's my word today. Let's not lose sight of Jesus. As we're following the church, as we, we go out and, and, we, and we, we make meals for kids in Ecuador, let's not lose sight of following Jesus. We can do a lot of great things. We can do a lot of great work. We can serve every week. We can, we can do a Bible study every week. We can lead a Bible study every And you can still lose sight of Jesus if you're not careful. Keep Jesus as your focus. I'm going to go ahead and invite, I'm going to do a little different worship team. Come on up to the platform right now. Um, go ahead and come on up. I can't think of a better way to end this message today than to take the opportunity to just take communion together. Because I think this is what Jesus was all about. He came from heaven to earth. He died for our sins. Because we were trapped in this bondage of sin, he wanted to set us free from that sin. And Jesus came to what what did he he came to build his church. And the one one of the ways that Jesus is building his church is through the power of forgiveness, through the power of his righteousness. And today I want to remind you all of us that we are one with Christ. That's the one common denominator for each and every one of us, that we stand together as one in following after Jesus. Amen? We follow together. 
we're united together through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, really, in a lot of ways, we'd be very separate people. I think about the apostles, the disciples. They were so different. Some were fishermen, some were tax collectors, some, you know, publicans and sinners, and all these different directions, all these different factions in the, in the disciples. The one common denominator for all of them was Jesus Christ. And Jesus wanted to bring salvation to us from heaven. He said, ha, ah, I'm going to give them my strength. And today, we're going to honor, honor Christ and take communion and, re, and just in remembrance of the sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us. If you take the bread here today, and if you're joining us online, we encourage you to do the same. The bread represents the body of Christ. It was broken. It was beaten for each and every one of us. I believe, first and foremost, it says in the word of God, by his stripes we are healed. And I believe first and foremost that that healing is a spiritual healing, salvation. He, he, he was broken for a reason. It wasn't for just to, you know, to make us feel good or what. No, no, no. There was a reason behind it. And that was to unite us together in Jesus Christ. His body was broken for you and for me. But man, I can't help also to know that in the brokenness, he brought healing. In the brokenness, he touched people's lives. And I was in our second song of worship today as we were worshiping there. And I don't remember exactly the words that were being sung, but it reminded me that our hope and our faith is in Jesus Christ. And today I just feel like some of you maybe are going through difficulties, are going through struggles, are going maybe through sickness. So I know. One is, 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 is going through a, a surgery tomorrow and there's needs strength. But maybe you're going through a financial crisis or maybe a relationship crisis. Do you know Jesus came to actually help that brokenness as well? And if you're here today and you just say, Pastor, I just need prayer. Will you stand as we take the bread here? Because I believe that God can do miracles right here and right now in Jesus' name. He is a healer. He is the one that puts things back together. He is the one that has knitted us and formed us in the very beginning of our life. And you know what? He can recreate us once again. And if you need a touch, if you need a miracle, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a scenario where you don't know what direction, guess what? God can take those things that might seem broken right now and he can put them back together in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you right now for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. It's horrific to think of the brokenness that happened. But Lord, we're so grateful that you were willing to sacrifice your own life for each and every one of us. And Lord God, in that knowledge, because of what your word says, by your stripes we are healed. Lord God, I declare healing over people's lives right now in Jesus' name. Spiritual healing, physical healing, Lord God, um, uh, social, Lord God, relationships that have been broken, healing in Jesus' name. Lord God, maybe it's a, an area of job or career that's confusing and broken. God, I pray for healing in Jesus' name. Your word says, by your stripes we are healed. We stand on your word as truth, Lord God. And we thank you and we, we claim our healing today, not in our own strength but in your strength. In Jesus' name, will you take with me?
cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. Someone had to shed blood for our sins, and it had to be a perfect sacrifice. And the only perfect sacrifice was Jesus Christ. And we do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ, because without Jesus, we have no way into heaven. Have you ever thought about that? You're lost without Jesus. And because of the sacrifice that he made for you and me, we have hope in Jesus Christ. And it's not a hope that is, that is, that is like, oh, I'm hoping that I'm not getting, no. It's an assurance of knowing that Jesus Christ has saved me. And Lord, we are thankful for your salvation. We are thankful that you've touched each and every one of our lives. For those who maybe, Lord God, are still walking through their salvation as we all are, actually. But for those who may be even struggling, I pray right God, right now, God, that they are able to grab a hold of your righteousness. Lord, we take this, Lord God, in remembrance of you. Will you partake? Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.